Now we're going to get started, get going. This has been a battle. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and I have two very special guests that this this has been a, a battle to get them on here. Uh, Charlie Mashek and Justin Jett from Hoosier Outdoors. Did I get that right? Yeah, it, well, Hoosier Trapper Supply and Hoosier Trapper Outdoors. So, and then the um, Trap House Podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have a bunch of names. Awesome, but, yeah. awesome. We'll, we'll get to all of that. That's close. And then you're right, it has been a battle. And uh, Technology, man. Finally, finally we're here. So. Well, it's so funny because um, it has become more and more crucial to be able to do stuff over the internet. And when we rely on it, it hasn't been as reliable as what, as what we've uh, dreamt about. You know, before when it was just a, a, a giggle to, to do it, well, it, it wasn't that hard. It worked most of the time, I guess, and we, we didn't really worry about it. But now, uh, where it's so, so crucial, it, it has definitely had some shortcomings. And this is the third or fourth different um, uh, software that I've attempted. So. <laughs> yeah. we, got it. we got it. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about you guys. Uh, Charlie, obviously, you've been at this longer than Justin. Yeah, I'm a little older. I, I've, um, I got to think a second. I think I've been at this for um, 47 years trapping, as far as trapping. And that's when I started, still in school, obviously. And started um, uh, Hoosier Trapper Supply, actually my senior year in high school. So that was in 1976 is when I graduated. So, um, yeah, I've been, been, been at it a long time, longer than probably most of your listeners have been born. So <laughs> I graduated in 77. We're pretty close, Charlie. <laughs> okay, we're, 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 very close. we're very close then. So, yeah. Okay. I don't know what your demographic is on listeners, but uh, I think generally they're probably younger than we are. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do get a lot of I do get a lot of shocked reactions when people they they come meet you and or they come out on the trap line and and you know you put in that long day and everything and and they they turn around and afterwards they they discover how, what your actual age is and it's like they don't they don't believe it right um, yeah it, it's not it, it's it's nothing that to, that concerns me whatsoever I like to see more young people doing it I mean that's yes. very very important yeah yeah exactly. So, you were referring to, you you were referring to that they were surprised to see you being that active and been able to stick with it that long. Is that is that where you were coming from? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What? Well, I got a quick story for you. So, um, a couple three years ago, I'm waiting on a gentleman in our shop, and and um, I was he was had a he really wasn't a trapper. He was a deer hunter, but he had some beavers he needed to catch. Hey, folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and I bet you are just like me and the day can't start without that first cup of coffee. For me, it's Stout Maple. Old smoke coffee's darkest roast. Strong, aromatic, and smooth. That gets me revved up and ready for whatever the day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood, for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get a free travel bottle on any purchase of $45 of coffee, excluding the Wounded Warriors blend. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, use the promo code RICH. In these trying times, everybody's trying their best to adapt. Old Smokes is changing the promo rewards every couple weeks, but every time, from now on, 
Use Rich for the code. Rich will be the only promo code going forward. And what the heck, it's a lot less spelling on that silly phone screen. And now, back to today's show. So, um, anyways, I'm waiting on this guy. And he, like I said, he wasn't a trapper, but he, was, he did some deer hunting. But he had some problem beavers on the place that he deer hunted. And they wanted him caught. And I'm explaining to him, um, you know, how to do it. And that you probably need to get some hip boots or whatever and get in the water. And he, he turns to me, he goes, I'm 56 years old. I can't be doing that. <laughs> so, anyways. You're as old as you act. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like, I'm thinking. I never think about my age. <laughs> I, I never, I truly never think about my age. We were up, uh, we were doing a show with a fella. And we were doing um, Wolverine. We were up very near the, the Northwest Territories border. We'd put on, I don't know, it would have been about 300 kilometers that day. So I don't know, 180 miles on snowmobiles. And the one guy, mind you, he was in really poor condition and that doesn't help you at all. But he was, he was talking about how old he felt and, and all that kind of stuff. And I saw you kids, right? I was teasing because I was pretty sure that I was, I was much older than him. And he says, well, what are you older than me? And I says, I'm pretty sure I am. And he looked at me and he says, how old are you? And I says, well, how are you? He says, well, I'm 38. I said, well, I'm 60. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all it's all a state of mind right it yeah and you gotta you gotta keep at it so yeah it, it really is you know and i i don't other than joking around i do, do not think or feel my age at all so right and i don't even know what that's supposed to feel like but um no i'm, I'm not giving into it let's put it that way no if i don't think about it i'm 18 for eternally it's just my yeah. body every now and then says nah <laughs> so let's get back to the right to the beginning you were raised in trapping was your dad a trapper or how did that how to begin i was not no um just something i was interested in my grandpa did some nuisance trapping on his farm and that kind of sparked my interest and then um you know it just it was kind of one of those things that um always was in the back of my mind watch Daniel Boone on TV as a kid and, and thought that was cool. And, and, um, um, we stopped on a family vacation on the way home. We, we stopped at a place, uh, in Illinois and it was Ed Bowers for a company and, uh, picked up one of his catalogs. And that was kind of the starting point of me realizing that all this stuff was available, uh, to buy. And um, that was kind of the starting point. I think I was 14 at that time. So, uh, um, but yeah, I, I did not have a family that, that um, were, you know, were trappers for by any means. So it's kind of my own, my own thing. So, and, and can't get it out of my system. Here it is, you know, 40 some years later, and I'm still at it. So <laughs> my, uh, I, I kind of came like, I mean, trapping was just, we did. I mean, we grew up trapping. I mean, uh, yeah. some of my earliest memories are checking, you know, little zero jump traps and that for, for weasels and squirrels and, which were worth money back then, but not now. <laughs> yeah. But my first discovery of the whole wide world out there was a, I had an old friend, uh, Don Coleman was his name, and he taught me how to reload. Well, that's what we called it back then, hand loading for ammunition for guns. And he had this wondrous catalog called Herders. Sure. <laughs> so that was my first discovery of, uh, of what mail order was and, and, and the, that whole world that was out there. Because otherwise... Whatever was at the Hudson Bay was the only thing that we knew of in our world, right? There was just, yeah. there was none, none of this access that we have today, so that was that was pretty fascinating to to discover all that that, that wonder stuff was out there, and and you know you could get so so much stuff. I can remember my first uh, reloading kit, my, my press, my uh, scale, my powder measure, and one die, 
and it cost uh, $39. You know? <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, um, a dozen number one long spring victors, I think were like 12 or $13, you know, back in the day. So, um, yeah, times of times and prices have certainly changed. So. Yeah, and if we could find them used and pay that for each one, we'd be we'd be tickled today, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, and and of course now, then you could then you could talk about the value of fur and how that's changed over the years too. But um, uh, that's another. That's, you know, that's another <laughs> yeah, that's that's a uh, commodity versus product, you know. So. But. So you you started you started trapping on your own, and w- w- did you start uh, on? like with everybody else with mosquitoes uh, with mosquitoes with uh, muskrats and squirrels or where, where did uh, you start we don't really trap squirrels here in uh, our state so if they're considered a actually considered a game animal or not really a fur bear uh, here unlike they are in the north in your country or, right. or um, uh, maybe in the new england states but uh, no it's um yeah started with muskrats and then um uh went to uh fox trapping and then that, that was kind of I always multi-species trap, but I do like land trapping um, better than, than water trapping. If push comes to shove, but I do enjoy both for sure. And that was back, we didn't have coyotes then at all. So um, it was lots of fox trapping. And then as the coyotes moved in, it kind of switched. And now it's basically coyote trapping with an occasional fox. So um, we just made that transition over primarily in the 1980s is when that kind of flipped. So. Isn't isn't that amazing though the how the coyote have moved in like that? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And once they were here, it just you know, they were here and they're you know, they'll be here forever. And um but yeah, it it definitely um just completely flipped uh in in what we had to trap. And it, it in in a lot of respects it wasn't really a fair trade, although I really enjoy coyote trapping. I mean, but um, to lose the foxes over the coyotes, it was kind of like, you know, so um, our coyotes are a poor quality. They're not. They're not hugely desirable, as compared to the Western type. You know, with good pale bellies. And I don't know what kind. You guys got good coyotes where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of north. Mine are a little bit bigger and a little heavier. Okay. Uh, where my boy lives in, uh, my one son lives in Red Deer, which is pretty much the center of, of Alberta between Edmonton and Calgary. And uh, yeah, he gets the pails there. From there south are the, are the pails. Our coyotes okay. are much smaller than yours. And yeah. they all look normal. <laughs> I was giving <laughs> Conrad a, a hard time. I says, half the ones you, you guys catch look like somebody's German Shepherd. Yeah. And I, I said, so is that interbreeding or is, it, or is that just you know genetics? And he says it's a lot of it's just gen- genetics. Is that true? I, I think, yeah. I, I think that biologically they got to take the skulls out and do all kinds of measurements to see what genetic background is, you know, in those coyotes from what I understand. Um, if there was some interbreeding with wild dogs or whatever, then um, sometimes you catch some of that, that make you wonder, you know, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah. in fact, Conrad, he had one that he put on Facebook last fall and it's like, I don't know. Yeah, that was. A- <laughs> well, he he posted it up on our Facebook page, and and oh my gosh, the, the people took him to task and all that. Like, I mean, it really looked like a German Shepherd. He told yeah. me that they, those yeah. those sell really well for for, for taxidermy. Right? Um, they can, yeah. I yeah. mean, well, no, let me re- re- 
coyotes that are really, really black or really, really odd in color will do very well. I don't, the ones that have a domestic dog look to it, maybe not so much. So. Well, that was my feeling. Like, you know, you, you get a melon, melanastic, is that it? Melanastic? Melanistic. Melanistic. Yeah, melanistic. Uh, that genetic, the gene that brings out the black in them. There was a bobcat caught in Nova Scotia last winter, I believe, and it was just as black as, it was like a black panther. It was kind of cool. Except yeah. a short-tailed black panther. Picture floating around online. Yeah, yeah. That is remarkable. And and we also get another a color face called the canary in, in the Martins. And they can be almost snow white. Um, they can be like as yellow as a Tweety bird. Mm -hmm. One guy in Manitoba caught one and um, it was just a little female. So it's in a, it's in a 120 and the 120 covers half the body. It looked and it's hanging there and you took a picture of it hanging there. And I mean, it is absolutely just Tweety bird yellow and they, except over the top of the head, it, it, it turns white and it looks like a, a stuffed toy hanging there, like for the world, like <laughs> a stuffed toy. Yeah. And oh my God, it, it, it took that about 20 hours to go around the world. And all of a sudden I was getting hate messages from, <laughs> from the UK. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't take long in some cases for sure. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, you know, I started blocking and banning them like, like I always do. And it turned out that, you know, for every message I was getting, you know, they're, they're, every dozen messages, they're, they're, they're from, all from the same person. You know, oh. I, I went and tracked my way back through the, followed the digital trail and all that. And, and they, all, they all had this one um, Facebook page that they all belonged to. And it was the same person over and over and over again. But, you know, when you're getting from a dozen different uh, names that you think that, oh, my goodness, you stirred up the horror incest, but we hadn't. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. It was. It was. And, and the guy just caught a very unique, you know, canary. I mean, and it's worth nothing for... To, if you ship it off to the to the fur market, I mean, uh, it just goes into the into the dye vat, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way you know. Uh, I was a, a fur buyer for a number of years. Well, during the big fur boom years, I bought fur, and, and uh, but yeah, anything that was out of the norm has no value on, on in the fur market, as you said. But on the tax derby market, uh, that's another story. Some of that stuff does really, really well. So. I think part of it is because they, they need to try and match them, you know, to, to, to make anything out of it, right? Right. Yeah, there's nothing there to put with it, you know, so um, um, it's to stand alone, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. You started with the trapping, and yeah. did you progress then into, into making your own lures? Like, what came first? Lures that you wanted, you wanted to become a... A businessman at it. Wait, give me the progression. Um, uh, I kind of when I was trapping, then I kind of played around with making lure a little bit, and then um, started selling trapping supplies, and um, and then bought some fur, and then that just kind of snowballed because that was during the fur boom years where everybody wanted to be a trapper and everybody needed trapping equipment. So it was you know that was pretty good times, you know. Yeah. Um, and then. To be honest, we were so busy with all of that, or I was so busy with all that, I did, my lure making really kind of went by this side. I didn't really um, uh, make it and sell it like I probably should have in retrospect. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, I, I, I kind of put it on the side burner and, and didn't didn't um, go forward with it. And then uh, basically in the in the I guess it'd be in the nineties, it kind of started started pushing it again and, and working on developing more of a line and going from there. So, 
Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the story on that. And then now, you know, between um, the YouTube show and and what we do, we've we've got a good following on our our lure line, our Leatherwood line, and our Top Dog Predator bait. So yeah, it's been it's been good for us. So. Is is that your is that your your number one bait, the Top Dog? Yeah, it's actually really the we make a liquid predator bait as well, but the top dog by far is, is, um, uh, by far our biggest seller for sure. So, and it's, so, um, it's based on bobcat meat. Um, but that's about the only, um, similarity between that and the Nelson bait formula, which is, you know, out there. And a lot of people, uh, have worked off of that formula and enhanced that formula or whatever, but, um, my only similarity to the Nelson formula is the Bobcat meat base. So, but, um, it's amazing how much, uh, how many animals eat cat. Even cat eats cat. Like <laughs> with our lynx, they're yeah. very cannibalistic. Yeah. And right now we're in a, in a big upswing. Uh, there's lots and lots of uh, rabbits. And so she might have eight, nine kittens. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes you go out and then walk, go down your trail. And then of course we're, we, we trap in snow all the time. And sometimes it looks like a herd of lynx went down the trail in front of you and she, she'll have seven, eight, nine kittens, whatever. If you catch one of them, the others often will eat it. Okay. That's just, that's I just. Did, a, I did just watch one of your episodes about that where you were hanging multiple snares around the bait as well to try and, to keep them catching multiples and keep them from eating each other as well. Yeah, it, 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 it seldom works. <laughs> in, in theory, you know, I mean, most of the time when, when we, I, I don't know anything about bobcat because we don't have bobcat, but most of the time with lynx, you, you, you have a pen and, and you've got your bait, your, your, your lure or whatever in there. Sometimes you've got meat hanging in there. And sometimes the cat just walks right in, right in through the snare. You have a single snare, boom, you get, you get the cat. Uh, other times you'll circle. So you always have, these these uh, snares around the, around the outside for the circles, right? And so you would you would think that when they, you know, there's one there that they're eating on them, they would occasionally circle. They don't. They all follow that cat back right right in there. Like, it's frustrating. I, I I've had uh, I've had some where I, I've just had to give up on the on the pen because you know you'd catch one and the other two the others would eat it and then you then you catch another one and then they'd eat it. And it was on and on. It was it was so frustrating. But I always tell everybody that if you have a cat. And if if you feel uh you know like you you got chest pain and you feel like a heart attack's coming on or whatever, you throw the cat out the door before you take the two aspirin and call nine one one. Because you're tomorrow's fancy feast, man. <laughs> I talked I talked with an old fellow about it. I says, why is that? Why are cats cannibalistic that way? And he says, well, I think it's because of their their social structure. They groom one another. Mom grooms them, they groom one another, they groom mom, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's how it starts. And, you know, when they're dead and then they're grooming them and then it's like, hmm, maybe that tastes good. I don't know. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know whether he was right or not, but they're the only ones that do it. You know, they, you, you, you just don't have it happen with anything else. We don't, we don't have that problem here. And I wonder if that relates to your uh, harshness of your winters and this, all the snow on the ground and, and, um, just the lynx taking advantage of an opportunity and harsh, you know. That, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. I, um, but we, we generally, well, we just really don't have problems with 
um, cannibalistic animals and or animals getting eaten in traps. It's just, that's not, I mean, like if a rabbit gets caught in a, you know, something comes by, that's one right. thing. But as far as a, a, a targeted animal, generally, one we really only have trouble with are muskrats and, and mink coming along, you know, but as far as um, bobcats or, or coyotes or that kind of thing, um, on rare occasion, we'll talk, we'll hear about a coyote getting caught in a snare. And it, if the winter is, you know, harsh by our standards, uh, occasionally there will be uh, one that will get eaten by other coyotes. But that that is very rare. So I don't know, just thinking about that in relation to what you're just talking about, I wonder if it's just the harshness of your environment up there. It could be, but there's a couple other, you know, even more confusing sides to it. One, the lynx can, can't eat frozen meat. So it has really? to eat them when they're still warm and thawed. Because right. this happens all the time. I'll catch a lynx and, I, and you know, I'll be handling it, turn it over, and it'll have blood on the fur. And I'll think, oh, dear. So you know what, what, what's happened is that it, it, it has been eating one that's been caught, and then it has to lay on top of it to thaw it enough to eat it some more. And so For then real. it ends up getting blood in its fur because it, the, their tooth structure isn't such that they, can, uh, that they can tear open frozen meat. Really, the only thing that eats frozen meat, I mean, wolves will, but like wolverines do. Wolverines will mm -hmm. eat frozen meat very well. And uh, the only other thing that ever gets, gets ate is uh, if I catch coyotes out in the, on my big line, my, my line out in, out in the big bush, um, wolves eat them. That's the only koi wolf we got around here is, is, is that pile of turds with hair sticking out of it. Because they do not know. <laughs> they do, do, not, do not like one another. Wolves are so extremely territorial. I mean, and it's the easiest thing to, to, uh, to use against them when, when you're trying to trap them. But we also had one, and I'm not sure what was going on here. I don't think, you know, like sometimes when you have uh, an, a spare wolf in a in a pack uh, you know you'll have one too many females or whatever she gets kicked out and so then she goes off to find another pack and it's just nature's way of of keeping those genetics spreading around right and yeah. we caught this one and she was just a beautiful a beautiful wolf like she was just a black and blue and 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 a gorgeous wolf but it would have been worth a lot of money but she had mange and that's one of the big problems that you have with with any pack animal is if one has it they all have it you know because they sure. because of that pack right and so it was terrible, like a mover and, and, and the snow would be covered in hair as you'd, you know, you'd pull it and, and it would pull off her. And so I took and hauled it away from the, the bait site, like miles away. The wolf pack followed me and that night, and it was cold. It was like we were talking about, it was, it was cold. It was probably, I don't know, 30, 32 below zero, something like that. And uh, they ate her. So I don't know whether she was a family member or if she was one of these outlers that had, that they, they had adopted in. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, like it's kind of one of those, and I don't know why it's an important question to me, but I'd, I'd like to know whether she was actually a family member of that pack or if or if she'd been an outler that had been adopted in. But why did they follow her and and eat her? Yeah, yeah, yeah interesting. Hmm. And I guess in thinking too, Rich, I guess we have so few foxes now that it's kind of a moot subject, it, really. But if if uh, when we had that transition with the coyotes moving in uh, and flipping the flipping the dynamic of the population, basically we, the coyotes ate a lot of foxes for sure in traps. Right. So uh, we we definitely had that, and that was certainly territorial, and you know, but um, um, and that still happens, but I wouldn't say it's common because we don't have enough foxes for it to be commonly happening. So <laughs> that's one of it's just 
Um, it's, it's that's interesting. So you used to have a lot of foxes. What was what was an average uh, season's catch for fox? Uh, I mean, it depends. When I was in high school, I I uh, would riding around on a bicycle or whatever. You know, I'd catch twenty or so in a season. Uh, but guys that would take it more seriously uh, in the hundreds um, or had the time developed and the ground um, during those years, that was those fur boom years. Probably the biggest difficulty here uh, and probably there too. Well, maybe not I, here um, is just getting enough ground to trap because everybody was trapping and uh, going out and getting permission from farmers and, and lining up ground. Well, you know, everybody had a family member that trapped if they didn't trap and yeah. or, or whatever so it was difficult to get line up lots of ground with the trap so for those that had a lot of it tied up then they could do quite well uh in numbers you know so um but yeah yeah there were guys that caught um well a few guys that caught maybe three four five hundred uh foxes and then um or maybe in some instances more but generally uh, pretty respectable catch if somebody was talking about a 50 to 100 you know so um but when you, you know, about the only place you can still do that in the U.S. is on the East Coast in Maryland and, and in that area. They still got a lot of foxes. So, but, um, we still have a lot of, of a lot of fox on the on the prairies. Um, my son, I don't know, he averages thirty, probably thirty fox a, a year, and, and he'll do double that in coyotes. And he's <laughs> in that red deer area. Is there anything on the face of the earth that has more fleas on it than a fox? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Our coyotes got lice. How about you guys got lice in your coyotes? <laughs> um, I don't know about lice, but they do get the shoulder louse, like the dog might. Uh, it comes wow. from the domestic dog, and and they lose that nice patch up on the rough. Yeah, right. We get that, and, and I mean, it's just a matter of you just got to keep trapping them and trapping them. They, that's the two things they get that in mange. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Makes for it's too bad because I mean, even even so, I mean, I I just. I, t I sent a couple to, uh, they were the only things that sold at, at this, this last uh, um, fur auction at Fur Harvesters. And that was such a, a shame with the, with the virus happening and all the, uh, yeah. I sold two that were, were damaged. Like they, they had the, the rough missing out of them, but I mean, I skinned them and sent them anyway. I got 70 bucks each for them. You know? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they should have been, if they'd have been complete, they would have been, double that or, or you know upwards of, of two hundred dollars right 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 the um so typically in on your coyotes say a year ago what would what would coyotes in your area bring it was nothing to average 140 okay that's that's an average so you'd have some that were over 200 and, and you'd okay. have some of those 80 dollar ones but yeah 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 now are coyotes your primary um target or you you multi-species Moly species trap uh, as well, or depends on the I, time of the year. I uh, we have fourteen fur bearers in Alberta, and I have uh, trappable populations of all of them except for badger, bobcat, and coon. They're, okay. they're too far south for they, they're not up here in the north. And my skunks aren't out during trapping season; they're okay. they're hibernating at that point. But I trap everything. Yeah. Um, the hardest to trap is the wolves because I don't have um, a great line for, I don't have a lot of ungulates. I don't have a lot of moose, deer, and elk. Okay. And wolves, wolves take a lot of food. We had a, a study done and 4,000 wolves, it takes 20,000 
ungulates, uh, so a population of 20,000 ungulates to produce enough food for 4,000 wolves and to keep that ungulate population self-sustaining. So that's really, that's a lot. Yeah. We have about, uh, well, they say right around between 84 and 8,600 wolves in Alberta. So we've got lots. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's 45,000 roughly deer, moose, whatever. You just, just to feed them. That doesn't include me having one to eat or or Lord knows how many get hit by vehicles and stuff like that, you know? I mean, then, and the bears, you know, black bears are just huge. This time of the year, I'll give it another month or so, and the, and the calf moose will be being born. And uh, black bear are just terrible on that. Like they, uh, I've, I don't know how many, how many in my lifetime, I'll bet you a dozen black bear I've shot that the black bear was tracking a, a cow moose in labor. You know, every now and then there'd be a little bit of snow or whatever, and you see a few spots of blood, and you'd, you'd know what was going on. She's in labor. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that black bear's, tracking because they'll they'll pick it up and eat it as quick as it's dropped right yeah yeah like on our our big trap lines our our registered trap lines out in the out in the bush the, the difference between registered and and uh residential is residential is on private land okay so on private land i i get a a special residential permit and then with in alberta it has to be written position uh, written permission and if i'm going to use killing snares that i have to have a special form filled up for that you know government right uh, but then our registered lines are all the national land, the, the federal land that is, okay. uh, isn't owned, um, owned by anybody. And there are our registered lines. We can buy and sell them. Yeah. But I, my registered line is, uh, is four townships. So that's, uh, 144 square miles. And I, I have exclusive rights to, to, uh, trap it. Nobody else can trap it without my permission. And, I can build and maintain cabins there, that kind of stuff, right? Well, it's awesome, man. Oh yeah, like a dream. So you, <laughs> you are living the dream. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's the funny part. Like, I mean, when we started all of this, when we started the TV show, and all these people were just so fascinated. And then, but it was the strangest thing that they were fascinated about because they, they were actually fascinated in the life. You know, it was it was it was how we were living, how we did it, and that kind of stuff. And and the probably. I, I've said this before, but then the number one complaint that we get is that, well, you didn't show that, you know, you didn't show, well, that's, there's nothing there. You know I mean? There's, we do that all the time. Right. And, but I, I guess it's, it's the entire, uh, you know, the whole experience that that's important. Right. And yeah, yeah. actually it's, it's been a blessing doing the, the TV show because it has made me that much more uh, grateful for what I have. Uh, I, right. I never knew. I mean, when you're raised up doing this stuff, I was 18 before I ate beef, you know, like, I mean, you just, you, you lived on moose meat, you know, and, and I would, <laughs> as I told one, one of my guys, uh, guests on podcasts, I, you know, when first time I went to the big city, I was, I was 18 and I was not popular with the ladies. Like, I mean, you, <laughs> the stories I had to tell when everybody sat down were not as cool as the, the stories they had, you know, because we just, it was, it was nothing if you're out in, out in the springtime and, and, you know, it was bear season, you shot a bear and you had fresh bear steak that night and stuff like that. Those are not stories that'll get you picked up, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you you live a lifestyle that um, few people do, so that that's pretty cool. And uh, Like I said, you're living the dream as compared to... I think a lot of us have this 
you know, certainly when we were younger and, and probably due to a certain point got this mystique about trapping and wilderness trapping and, and having the line with the cabins and all that, you know, and, and um, uh, so, yeah, that's very cool that you, that you, uh, you know, you're the guy. So, yeah. And, you know, and I mean, living in off grid, uh, you know, we have generator and, and we burn our own wood and all that kind of stuff, but living off grid is just that much more work on top of trapping. You know, and trapping yeah. is a lot of work to begin with. And, you know, you have all those hundreds of kilometers of trails and all those traps. Like when, when Martin season's going on, I've anywhere from 140 to 160 Martin sets out. And, and then you've got otter and beaver and lynx and wolf and coyote and, and mink and all that on, on top of it. But, I mean, it is so funny because I get, I have to, I, I check every four days. Um, we have no check laws when it comes to killing stuff. Uh, any of our killing snares and our our snares have to be killing by law isn't that funny and you guys not allowed not allowed to have a killing snare yeah relaxing locks and all that yeah 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 Yeah, we want it done (laughs) done and over (laughs) i mean there's a certain point to that for sure you know but yeah yeah Yeah, i don't have to worry about the neighbor's dogs or anything like that right exactly makes sense when um when we do footholding uh in the residential areas, like on a residence license, like my home quarter here, um, I have to check it every 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. That's not, that's the law there. Out in the big bush, I can, I, I have to check every 48 hours. Well, that becomes hard to do when you have, oh, on average, I've have, oh, I have over 300 kilometers of trail that I, I follow and I go out there every four days and I spend three days checking the line. Well, that, that, that's, that's three big days. And especially then you throw, TV on top of that, um, you end up, you know, it's very, very full, full days. So you, you couldn't, I couldn't physically get back to those snares again, even while I was, or those, those, uh, traps again in 48 hours. So I don't do a lot of footholding when there are a couple of different times in the, in the, uh, winter, like out, out for wolves, we'll go out and, um, us, we'll be out there for a couple of weeks in a, in a straight shot and I will, uh, set up then footholds for, for links and, and footholds for, uh, for wolves. Okay. So typically when you go out there, do you go a week at a time, two weeks at a time? How do you, three days. Do you, th- three days at a time? Three days, yeah. And then you come, so do you, and then you live, then you, are you living on the line then? Or are you living in a different location or? We have, we have a home. Our line is three hours away from our home. Um, okay. And uh, um, we like, I don't know how many days a year we'd live out there. Probably work out to about a third of the year that we'd live okay. on the line. Uh, okay. Like there, there are different times that we're out there for several weeks at a time, and the, you know, Christmas is always out there, which is the best place ever. <laughs> uh, they, there's just there, there's so many other things that you know. I mean, we, we've chosen with doing the the TV and and all the social media stuff and all that that, that goes with it. Uh, you need to have you know time in an office like when I'm sitting in here right now. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's great. I've been tuning into the shows that that you put out. And the ones I always end up clicking on are the ones that, you know, stuff we can't catch here. So it's always cool to see, you know, working working your Wolverine sets and links and you get a kick out of that. Just someday that's a bucket list thing, somehow, some way, somewhere. <laughs> and that and you know, I it's funny. I we get a lot of 
a lot of a lot of those comments, exactly those comments that this, this is what's so different, and it's something that we don't that we don't see, and in that way, like Wolverine is very popular. Wolves are very very popular, and which is unfortunate for me because wolves are such a the wolves showed up once this year on my line, <laughs> you know, and oh, yeah. they, and you know you have these huge baits out there. Like I have, I get them, I can use roadkill, and it's really. A silly thing the way the government goes about this but because of the um cwd you know the, yeah. the chronic wasting disease yeah. you can't go across uh, certain boundaries like there's wildlife management units right and so i can't take sure. a roadkill from one wildlife management unit to another wildlife management unit even though the the road outside my house is a dividing line between two wildlife management units but i can get a permit to pick up roadkill and let me tell you that sounds pretty easy until you have a moose laying there. <laughs> there are people that have slowed down while, you know, it's snowing and, and uh, I'll have, there'll be a fresh moose kill. It was, this happened up over to the north of me here, a couple of miles, I don't know, 10, 15 miles. It goes up over a big ridge, big set of hills and, and the moose had got hit right alongside the road. And so it's, I don't know, it's late in December. And it's snowing pretty heavy, and it's kind of a bad spot. But I got the truck and trailer pulled over to the side, and and I'm taking care of this moose, trying to pick up this moose and and to take out to my uh, trap line. And the guy slows down, and and right right in the middle, I look up, and I've I've got the chainsaw going, and I'm taking it apart with the chainsaw, right? And then you can see his wife. His wife looks looks over and starts yelling, "Go, go, go!" go. I don't know what they thought I was. I was chainsaw murdering somebody in the ditch or what it was. But <laughs> a moose is a big yeah. animal. <laughs> so far, I've found through your stories that you have a way to pick up the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been really successful at that one, yes. <laughs> hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased to announce the launch of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. Nation. We've created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. By making this community subscriber exclusive, we can share thoughts and ideas freely without the censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Trolls will be a thing of the past, as not one will spend a nickel to protest on a paid site. Here you're going to get to see the new Trapping Inc. videos months ahead of YouTube and Amazon Prime availability. New podcasts will premiere here for a week as well, and we are going to be sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting, as well as our new TV series, Married to the Hunt. The forum is here for everyone to post on and interact. You can message us directly. Post and interact with all the other subscribers. We ask that you be respectful and helpful. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level of building a community of shared interest and interacting with you, our fans. Who knows where we can go from here? To sign up, just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account, then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe. $3 per month is the minimum fee we can charge, and that is where we have set it. That simple, just go to locals.com, open a free account, and then subscribe to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about our way of life and the responsible and ethical management of the wild resources. And now back to today's show. How long have you had this trap line then, the registered one? This one, I've had, I've had a trap line my whole life. Okay. Uh, and some of them were like this even before they were formalized. Um, I mean, trap lines, 
were actually broke. Alberta was broke into registered trap lines in I think 1925, but before that, it was a very informal thing. And even after that, like I mean, it was nothing to call up somebody and and go trapping on their place or trap on their trap line or or you know whatever. And there was no paperwork or anything involved. It was just later in life that that that's that sort of thing started out. So I've I've had trap lines my entire life. This current line I got I bought six years ago. Okay. Okay. So are they? Is that are they expensive to buy, or are they, is it? I mean, I'm assuming they must be. Well, it depends on what you're buying, you know. Okay. Because um, technically, all you're buying is the land, or not, not the land, the improvements, and any, okay. you know, you might get traps or you might whatever whatever deal you can make. But you're basically buying the improvements, which is the cabins, and that's all that's being sold. And and then you have the government gives you the right to that that trap line. Um, I paid $60,000 for mine. Okay. And it, it came with three cabins. Um, I really didn't get nothing else. It was uh, okay. some old people and he had been a, uh, a farmer. And so most everything was built out of old reused stuff. And we've replaced, you know, like we've replaced windows and all that. I've never, I've done a little bit to the cabin uh, as far as renovating it and just opening it up and putting in new, you know, new stove and stuff that, I didn't worry about dying in the middle of the night over and that farmer stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you buy, if you're looking at buying a trap line over on the mountains, like the one side of uh, Alberta is bordered by the Rocky Mountains. Our western border is is the Rocky Mountains, and trap lines over there. There's, it's kind of a. Um, I don't want to say it's a kind of a dirty secret, but it's kind of it's kind of one of those things. That I guess we're gonna to have to address at some point. A trapper is the only one that can use a um, ATV or a snowmobile above the tree line. Okay. And they're the only ones that can have a cabin out in the wild. Okay. You can't. Nobody else can go out and build a cabin in the wild. You only only a trap line can. And so, the people that buy them over on the eastern slopes of the Rockies, um, they're usually hunters. Okay, and of course we have bighorn sheep, and and that that's uh, you know a very desirable animal to hunt, and that and sure. so that's what ends up happening. Some of those trap lines over there have traded for upwards of a million dollars. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And obviously that's not a trapper income no. level right there. <laughs> no. My son is a junior on a trap line at um, Rocky Mountain House, and. He actually has baseline mountain is on his trap line and it's not a very big trap line. It's don't think it, I think it's under two townships, but it, with baseline mountain in the middle, it, it becomes hard. Access is hard, right? Cause mountains are not easy to go up and down that kind of stuff. So he, um, like the fellow that he's, he's a junior for is an old man and he has uh you know some dementia and and his son is no interest in traffic he just loves going out to the to the trap line with his dad and help cut the grass that kind of stuff so he's never going to trap it and they built a really nice um log cabin on it and all that kind of stuff and his dad goes out in the summertime but dude, there is a law that says that trap lines have to produce okay you have to be producing first so they they have to sign up matt and Matt goes out there and, and he uh, does, does traps the, the trap line for them, takes the fur, does the, does the, uh, the fur reports and all that so that it's being utilized and they, they can justify still owning it. But the day is coming when it's going to be being sold. And sure. 
the son does not have a trapper's license and does not have any want to become a trapper. So he's not going to be able to keep it. And it will sell it probably in the quarter to $300,000 million, $300, range. And, and like Matt said, you'll never, ever pay for that in a lifetime. You know? No. You know, like mine at $60,000 have more than paid for it in fur alone, right? In those, in those six years. And it, it, especially if Martin would stay up, (laughs) (laughs) there is nothing that is better than, than than a Martin. They're like skinning a squirrel. They're they're probably less work than a squirrel because they're a little bigger and and there's no fat or anything on them. They're just so easy. If you didn't have to flip them, you know, if if a guy could get uh, wire stretchers for them, so you didn't have to flip them once, uh, you know, they, they they would be the perfect animal. And they they were in 13, I think I hit 200 and some dollars was my best but my average would have been like 160 170 for martin yeah 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 <laughs> 2013 that was a that was a you know uh crazy crazy fur sale i actually i'm referring to nafa uh, north american fur auction sale i was actually listening to that sale yep and it, i mean they must have been when that place was done they probably didn't even have to sweep the floor because i mean it was they sold the house out <laughs> you know, everything everything sold it was a, it was an amazing sale to listen to i know the people all the people involved and it's kind of funny and they were nafa was really really high on themselves at that moment well because they were just shy of a billion dollars in sales that year yeah a billion dollars think about that right yeah. and they were they were making an offer to another uh, another um auction house and like, well, you better come with us because if you're not, you know, you're either on the bus or under it kind of thing, right? They were, <laughs> they were pretty arrogant. Yeah, very arrogant, right? Very un-Canadian like. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, because uh, I'm talking to the other guy, like, and I've, I've, I've had this conversation with him, and, and, and he said to me, he says, "There's no way that this stays. There's no way that the, these artificially inf- inflated prices can stay up here." And part of what was driving it was was all the uh, the um, ranch mink. And what the ranch mink were going for, and the fact that it was all being all that stuff was being smuggled into China and Asia and uh, and Russia, and nobody was paying any any customs and all that, so it was all grotesquely inflated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he was right. It was all a it was, there was a big uh, house of uh, cards there, but a, and and it ended up uh, collapsing. I, it's too bad what happened with this virus here because I think we were going to have a great year. What what was your thoughts on that? I, th- I think we were approaching a decent year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a, actually a, had been an AFA receiving agent for uh, several years, a number of years. I was in 2013 that season. Um, and I, of course, NAFA, of that, you know, the story on that, but um, uh, I thought so too. I thought even for our Eastern for uh, Eastern us or Midwestern, however you look at it, uh, we were approaching a season where we were going to see things being pretty decent and actually probably being a higher, possibly higher than a year ago. So, um, uh, yeah, we were, I was optimistic, uh, in the fall, you know, and then of course, uh, here, um, NAFA is much, much larger than fur harvesters in terms of trapper, um, recognition, you know, signing goods, you know, yeah. so, but, uh, and that definitely threw a, big wrench in it and then the, the virus i mean it's just kind of been like a domino effect of 
everything that can go wrong seems like it's just happened this year. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a tough year. I, I see they announced their their uh, August twenty fourth will be their their second auction this year, and it's going to yeah. be a, an actual in person auction, which is good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. NAFA and fur harvesters is like Canada and the U.S. Uh, fur harvesters is 10% of, of NAFA, but they're still standing now, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, they're, you know, they're, we're doing things ultimately smarter or better than NAFA or some, something. I mean, clearly they're still around. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it's pretty fascinating how, how that has worked out. Do you think, you know, like I was watching everybody panicked when NAFA went down and they, you know, everybody's what's it's the end of the world. Where are we going to sell and all? And I says, well, you know, nothing's a vacuum doesn't stay empty long. And you know, we, everything moved in like GFW came to Canada. We'd sure. never, we'd never, people didn't even know who they were. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. they were here buying, you know, and they were, yeah. they were paying good, good money. So mm -hmm. it said to me that it was going to be a really good auction. Yeah. And for, for the virus to happen and, and that that's, that's just, just too dang bad but um i saw even results from some of the fur tables and the private auctions that, that you folks had in the states and that were even the easterns were were pulling like a 70 70 dollar average on the coyotes yeah yeah that's yeah. that's good money yeah yeah real good money and that that may have not happened a lot but there were <laughs> clearly a lot of them that were in the uh 40 dollar range which actually is still really good for an eastern coyote uh or you know 40 to 50 so um yeah there was definitely speculation that uh, uh that coyote market was going to be as good if not better than a year ago so but um as the season progressed that definitely started to change for sure we had we had Gronwald uh gfw show up they since we were not being an NAFA receiving agent, we said, I reached out to a guy and I said, Hey, well, I've got all these shippers. They don't really have a specific place to go with their fur. If you would like to come in our place and buy fur an afternoon or whatever, uh, you're welcome to. So he said, yeah, we'll do it. And I think it was March 8th was a Sunday. We had people lined up for, <laughs> he had planned on two hours and we had them lined up for like three and a half hours, cleared the road. And he bought way more fur than what he anticipated. So it was, um, yeah, we uh, almost had to go get a secondary truck for him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it was uh, a surprise, I think for him, but it was, you know, there was a lot of fur and the, that was a Sunday. And the next day he actually quit doing all rounds because the virus thing was really starting to heat up. And then, okay. uh, he maintained the Canadian, um, yep. routes for a while yet. Um, and then he, um, so I mean, it was rapidly, um, you know the whole thing declined quickly right after that that Sunday that he was at our place. But um, uh, anyways, yeah, it, it, it went it went downhill in in a big hurry, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It really did. So, tell um, me, one of the things that I see when I'm <clears throat> on the internet and, and that uh, on the forums and all, you guys sell a lot of fur green, like just yeah. frozen. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, that's it's, normal. It's pretty common, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember years ago going up to um, Toronto to the sale back when it was Hudson Bay, yep. Um, and and going into the in the sample room. I don't know if you've ever been there yep. or at Fur Harvesters, and you could always pick out the Canadian put up because it was just always so meticulously done. I, you know, <laughs> it, it was it was beautiful, 
not to say that the, some of the North American or the um, lower 48 guys didn't do a good job, but you know, overall the Canadian put up was, was superior to what we were doing. At least that was my impression at the time. Well, I know some that are really awful. Don't, so don't, don't beat yourself up over it, but I'd never seen, I, I didn't understand what these guys were talking about when they were talking about in the round. I mean, we, lots of people will sell in the round and you're know, frozen, that, that kind of stuff, uh, especially the cage, the, the, the hunters will do that, right? They'll, they'll want to sell them that yeah. way. And uh, then, but then these people were talking about green and, and see, I was going by our legal description of green where until it's tanned, it's considered green. Sure. So even if it's dried or salted or anything else, it's still considered green. And then, then after a while, I, I come to understand, it's like, what, you just skinned it and you're selling it to them that way? So, so if you're the buyer, then do you put it up yourself? Is that, is that how it works or? Right. The, the, the buyer would or all fur processing centers essentially is how that works. So in the, the buyers, um, it kind of changed over the years. We used to have a buyer basically in every town, small town, it seemed like, and there were certainly two or three per County. And then of course, as the thing fell apart in the late eighties, 87, 88, then that all kind of changed. But, but yeah, the, the fur buyer would be the pro fur processing center, essentially, you know, and, and uh, uh, so a lot of fur was sold green. And it was interesting when when um, Gronwald was at our place, guys who had this meticulous, beautiful board stretch put up on their fur, their coon, and I mean, you know, just awesome jobs. And he, he kind of, you know, burst their bubble because he said, you know, you guys are just wasting your time. We, we, we don't, re we don't require that type of put up for because they sell most of their stuff already tanned, have a tan and then sell it. And so we don't really, you know, we just don't need that type of put up for our, where we're at in the industry. And, and uh, because uh, don't get me wrong, you did a beautiful job. However, <laughs> um, you, you just didn't need to do all that. It's so. just crazy because to them, like the guy behind him was selling a green, basically we're all yeah. same price for the guy that would have a beautiful put up and spend all the time in the world on it same price if it was the same thing, you know and it's just like man <laughs> I've, i yeah. always, i always say that is is that mother nature made that 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 pelt and it's as good as it's ever going to be all i can ever do is make it worse you know and so i'm all all i'm trying to do is limit my my damage to it i know people who have their secret recipe for how they wash their coyotes and everything i don't wash a coyote have you, you've uh, you've been and and looked at in the uh, in the fur room and that kind of stuff at, at the auction and that you you ever take the time to go through top lot? Oh yeah, that was always the first one you looked at, you know, because it was like but some of them are just terribly put up. But <laughs> the fur is the fur is the fur, right? <laughs> yeah. Within reason, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, some, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it, it, it always amazed me that because I, I mean the first time I ever looked at at, at a top lot, it was like, are you kidding me? Because some of them clearly belonged there, and they were well put up, and they smelled pretty. They'd been through the the, the magic solution and all that stuff, but some of it was like, you know, one leg was longer than the other, and, <laughs> and like and, and just terrible condition, dirty or blood on them. But the, you can't fool a, the fur grader, right? Yeah, the underlying. Yeah, they knew what they had. So yeah. Yeah. Although you yeah. you kind of question their judgment as to what they put in that sample string, you know. So yeah. you would <laughs> you would have think they get a better choice out of the bale, maybe, or you know, out of the whole lot. But yeah, anyway. yeah, you would. You would surprise the heck out of me. 
the the only one that I'm well, no, I I actually saw a uh, Wolverine that was in top lot, and I don't know how long he'd had it before he put it up, but the bottom jaw was still in it. Really? Yeah. So the hide had dried to the bottom jaw, and he could no longer get it off. So he just left it in the hide when he put it up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some sort of roadkill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's worth more with the molars and the canines in there. Yeah, well, the teeth on the on Wolverine are worth more. Most people would never recognize them because they, they they're not at all what you what would you think they look like. They they're they're very heavy like a bear, but not sharp at all. They're very they're very blunt. Okay. Yeah, they're very good for 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 grinding and and busting bone and that kind of stuff. When did the um, whole store idea come? How did that that come about? You, and, and you're also into taxidermy. Yeah, so I mean, we always basically had always had a place where people could walk in and buy trapping supplies because we got, you know, your percentage of trappers per square mile is probably not too great, whereas or or township. Yeah, um, ours is quite high. We have a lot of trappers. Um, you know, particularly in the '70s and '80s, we have a, a whole bunch. Um, so the state of Indiana right now, we're, we're uh, with fur prices and whatever. Um, we have about 4,000 or so licensed trappers in the state. But if you go to the state of Pennsylvania, I, I want to say they have like 50, 60,000 trappers in that state, you know, so they got a bunch of tra trappers. So we always, we always did kind of walk in store. So, um, in the 87, 88 season, when things pretty much just fell apart, uh, basically it was like somebody shut the faucet off in terms of business as it wasn't as usual for sure. And it declined uh, significantly in sales and trapping supplies. And and, uh, and I don't know if you guys felt that in Canada as much as we did um, in the United States, particularly in a more commercial first section. But um, so, um, in order to stay in business, kind of just tried some different things. Some, some of it um, didn't work particularly well, but uh, uh, started doing taxidermy and that kind of clicked and, and that's been, um, that's been good for us and, and keeps us quite busy. Um, so we've, we've been doing taxidermy now for um, uh, going on 20, 26, 27 years, I guess, 20, 25 quite a, quite a number of years so we, we stay quite busy with that as well so but um, and overwhelmingly you do white-tailed deer yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a that's our number one animal so yeah this, that's the national animal of of the u.s I, I i say that i'm from alberta and everybody wants to know where my white-tailed deer are right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now do you even have white tails in your part of the the province okay Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't shot a book animal off our own home quarter yet, but I, mostly because we don't hunt deer very often. I, I, I like uh, bighorn. Our bighorn sheep are probably my favorite. And okay. other than that, then uh, moose, elk, that kind of stuff. I'm not, not real big fan of eating. We have both whitetail and mule deer here. Okay. I'm just not a huge fan of, uh, of eating them. And I'm kind of the, you know, the person that it's very important to eat it, right? Yeah, well, when the, the alternative is moose or elk or yeah, uh, yeah, nope. sheep, I assume 
Yeah. Well, sheep isn't really good eating, but by the time you earn one of them, it's it's like I'm eating it no matter what. You know, damn it, I earned it. You know. <laughs> but nobody ever ate uh, a steak from a moose or an elk and said, "Geez, I wish I had a white tail." You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but uh, here in the here in the U.S., I always say basically everything's driven by largemouth bass and white-tailed deer. I mean, those are turkeys. those two turkeys too. <laughs> It's a lot lesser. <laughs> it's nothing like it's nothing like white-tailed deer and, and um, uh, largemouth bass. Yeah. yeah, turkeys is is a pretty big deal. Of course, you know, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation has their convention, and it's a it's a pretty big, you know, three yeah. or four day deal. So yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've been to the states a few times, Montana and uh, Pennsylvania. Um, to go uh, turkey hunting, we've had a lot of. Okay. A lot of okay. Yeah, we never got any any over in Pennsylvania, um, but and then you could only hunt till noon on Sunday. So we drove into New York City. We were in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the little town of Dallas, just south of Scranton, is where we were. So we drove over to to New York City. I got thrown out of the Empire State Building because I had a Leatherman on my belt, and and it was like. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, this is how stupid it was. How, I mean, how, how much of a, a, a hick I was is like you know, the uh, security guard says, "Well, you can't you can't go up in the elevator and that." And, and I says, "What? Why? I mean, it's a Leatherman. Like, I mean, if you got underwear on, you have a Leatherman on your belt. You know what I mean? It's just natural thing. And you have a pocket knife in, in in your pocket and another one around your neck. I mean, it's just that's just nature. That's that's just, that's the way we live." And he he says, "Well, you might you know." hold people hostage. I said, what in, in a, in a box that goes up and down a building? Like I'm, I'm, I'd be pretty dumb to do that one. So he says, well, your choice, you know, I mean, it was, it was, there was no arguing with this guy. Your choice is, he says, you, you throw it in the garbage or you leave us all the one. Let's run in the garbage or left. So we didn't get to the, uh, to the Statue of Liberty either. Cause, cause I once again, I had a Leatherman on my belt. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> everybody's got their quite a threat to the security <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> on your um you talk about uh, the number of, of trappers that you have in indiana and that pennsylvania has so much more i noticed that uh, in our days when we were doing a hunting uh, a tv show and we went to um what is the big um show there every year the, big, the national trappers harrisburg Harrisburg. Oh yeah, the sports, yeah. The sports show. Yeah, yeah. I I could not believe there were that many people, and they it was a whole thing. Like I mean, I'm I'm looking at at a half a dozen white-tailed deer out my office window right now. You know, like, I mean, it's, it, that's just a normal a normal thing. And these people would 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 tell sit there and, and tell you an hour long story about the doe they shot two years ago and and that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, these guys <laughs> have got, they've got it bad. They I mean they got they got the drive, you know, <laughs> they, they got the want. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, uh, Gary Schroeder, who writes the, the uh, fur market column for Fur Fishing Game magazine, he owns Moscow, Hyden, uh, Moscow Idaho. He, back in, um, the summer of 1976, he comes out of Indiana and, and I met with him because he was the one that kind of originally got me started buying fur. I'm just some kid. Anyways, he, he told me at, at that time, this is years, years ago, he goes, he said, 
he loved his business, but he didn't like the conversation because it's always the same stories from, you know, whoever you run into, you know, in the case of the taxidermy, it's, or, or hunters or whatever, it's the big old doe that, you know, or, or, <laughs> Uh, and at the time, I didn't quite really appreciate it. And, and now in retrospect, I, you know, realized a long time ago what he was talking about. So, you know, and you got to realize, obviously, it was exciting for the guy that's telling you the story. But, yeah. you know, yep. but I could rubber stamp the story, you know. Yep. <laughs> rarely, rarely do I hear a new story, you know. Yeah. So. You, could, you could write this story and just, uh, just stick their name in here and, and there. And yeah. <laughs> I know we, we get that all the time and people, people come up to us and they're so excited to talk about and tell the stories. And, and, you know, I understand where they're coming from. So, you know, I've, I've listened to, listened to a lot of them, but you know, it, it's so cool that there's still that, uh, that enthusi enthusiasm, that excitement, right? I mean, what, what yeah, a world. exactly. Well, that's the driving force behind that, all that. So for sure, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You folks going to go to the NTA this year? If they have it. If they have it. <laughs> yeah. The, um, it, it, yeah, it's kind of a sad state of affairs. The FTA convention, the Protectors of America convention, was scheduled for here in uh, Indiana in June, and um, so that can't that convention is has been canceled. Um, okay. And that fairgrounds um, actually has been shut down through the end of June. So, like the county fairs or 4-H fairs, mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of cases, aren't happening. The Purdue University basically heads up the 4-H program in the state. And, and um, uh, so they, they've already, you know, set the groundwork for a number of these fairs that, you know, that of course have been a tradition um, here for years and years or yeah. know, just not open. So I, I guess the, what are the two, the, the Southeast and the Southwest regionals uh, NTA have already been canceled, I think. Yeah, the West, I, I know the Western was, yes. Yeah. And so, um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the NTA decides, you know, for, um, for Michigan and what transpires over the next, I, I don't know what their last canceled date is to make that decision, you know, yeah. but, um, you know, they've got a, probably a few weeks to play. But yeah, we will definitely be there. We never miss the Fertigger National and the NTA National, but um, we'd love to go. That's always one of the cool things of the summer for sure, but um, um yeah, if they have it. How about yourself? Well, we've been to two of them. We were to Pecatonica, Illinois, and okay. then, and then we were to Escanaba. We missed okay. last year. Um, we went to Africa and hunting, <laughs> and so so we missed last year. But and and you know, and we kind of kind of kicked myself in the butt because everybody's saying, "Well, it's way too far south. It's not going to be good. It's you know, the the turnout won't be good." And I understand it was great. But it was. Um, it was pretty hot outside, but the, the facility had, was quite large interior-wise and had air conditioning. So yeah, it was a very nice convention. So um, um, most everybody was in the same giant building. I mean, it had different wings or whatever. Yeah, but everybody. That's was, cool. Pretty, yeah, it was yeah. nice. And the the facility in Michigan for the NTA uh, that's scheduled in uh, a lot of part of July that it's been there before in Kalamazoo, and that that's a very nice facility too. So um, oh, good. Yeah. It's, it's only a 36 hour drive for us. So we're thinking about it for sure. <laughs> That's a long drive. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> when you live, when you live where we live, everything is, is by hours, you know, like Calgary is eight hours away and Edmonton is five hours away. Like that kind of stuff. You just, that, that, that's how we judge everything is, is yeah. hours. And 
that's usually at 75, 80 miles an hour. It depends what you can get away with as far as the police, right? <laughs> <laughs> so do you even have a speed limit up there? We do. We okay. Do. <laughs> it's, it, on, uh, like on divided highways, uh, is, uh, would be about 70 miles an hour. It'd be uh, okay. Okay. 110 okay. kilometers an hour. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's just, yeah, that's the way it is here, so for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think there's some places out west that are 80 miles an hour. Um, in the more remote areas, but it's. We used to be Montana didn't not, have a speed limit. Common. What's that? Montana didn't have a speed limit. I've got a great story for this one. <laughs> there, I was. I, I fished in the United States as a, as a professional walleye fisherman on the PWT, okay. and I, of course, you, you're traveling. I had a big diesel truck with with uh, dual reel reels and pulling a big fully loaded uh, tournament boat and everything, and and in Montana. The uh, uh, signs, uh, there was a speed limit for, for, for trucks, what they considered trucks. To me, that's a semi, right? And the, for the rest, it was whatever was prudent and safe. That was their words <laughs> on their sign, was the speed limit, whatever was prudent and safe. So <laughs> I, I'm going, I think, I, I think they caught me. I think it was, I was in, uh, was in one of the, I was going through one of the, the Indian reservations it makes no difference. I was on high, I think it was on highway two. Anyway, middle of the night and uh, I'm trying to get home, you know, had tournament finished. I'd, I'd left early, early that, that morning. I'd, I think I'd left Lake Erie or something. And now I'm in Montana and just pulling her hard all, all the way home. And, and, uh, I'm going through the, in the middle of the night, 85, 90 miles an hour. And, and, you know, it's, Nobody, nobody on the highway. That's the best thing about West, right? You know, it's pretty, pretty empty out there. This, this policeman pulls me over and, and uh, he's going to give me a ticket. I says, well, how come you can give me a ticket? There's, there's no speed limit. He says, You're, it's a truck. I says, well, you're sure it's a truck. I'm pulling a boat. He says, no, it's a truck. He says, you have to follow the truck speed limits. I says, what do you mean? And he, and, and he says, well, it, 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 this is what's considered a truck. So you, you have to follow that, that limit there. And I says, no, a truck is, you're talking about semi-trucks. So we argued back and forth and, and, and finally he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, where I come from, I says, you know, look at top of my plate. I'm not from around here. So, you know, the, the only thing I can base it on is what, what I know what, what a truck is. And I won that argument and he goes to my way and he comes back. He says, wait a minute. He says on the sign, he says, whatever is prudent and safe. He says, when was 90 miles an hour prudent and safe in the middle of the night? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I got I got a $50 ticket. And I says, so how does this work? And uh, he says, well, you can give me the you can give me the money or he says, he says you can wait until the morning and, and pay the clerk. I pulled a 50 out, give it to him. I said, Thank you very much. And <laughs> wait, <Yeah>. wait. <laughs> set off going 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> He kind, of, he kind of did have a comeback for you, though. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, he did. It was. Uh, I, I had it won. I thought. I thought I was actually going to win. I, I had lots of lots of police stories when I was, I was traveling doing that stuff. But I mean, the great part about down there, you just pay the fine, and and, and away you go. Or up here, it's you, you get demerits, and then after after so many demerits, you don't get to drive anymore. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take the pay the pay the fine any day, right? Yeah. Yeah. This has been a blast, guys, and I want um, I want to I want to do this in person if we all get to the NTA, or maybe I'll okay. stop in Indiana on one way or the other or whatever, and and uh, and we'll do it in person. Um, tell everybody how they can find you. Um, list out those names again and and what what uh, websites they can find you on. Well, yeah, Hoosier Trapper Supply. That's our 
uh, supply chain there. We're also on YouTube, Hoosier Trapper Outdoors or Hoosier Trapper Supply. You can type in either one, we'll pop up. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, what else? Anything? Well, we, yeah, we've got the Trap House Podcast, or you do. Well, Trap, Trap House Podcast, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and uh, how, about, how about you, Rich? Uh, you can find us at trappinginc.com. We have a couple different Facebook pages. We have uh, uh, YouTube. Uh, our YouTube, we're, we're, we're doing really well on it. We're over several million views now on it. And uh, uh, we're on Amazon Prime, we're, uh, which I really like because that pays, actually pays pretty good. That does just to get all keep 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 putting up all the all the new uh stuff right everybody always wants you know your show to be an hour long but right they have no idea how many hours goes into making that half hour show right <laughs> yeah. yeah we're yeah. trying really hard to get away from the broadcast um broadcast tv um business plan we're trying to get away from that and trying to get more into just being supported on the digital world right and mm-hmm. to that end we've launched a uh, uh, a subscription-based uh, service on locals.com and we can put our stuff up. It circumvents my, my broadcast uh, contracts. Otherwise, depending on how archaic a broadcast contract is, you know, you may not be able to put anything out on, on YouTube or whatever for up to a year after, okay. after it airs. Yeah. And uh, as I've learned, you know, negotiating this stuff and that I, I've, I've learned that, you know, I, I want them to have the first right of, of airing and that's, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when, then now that we've moved into a, a airing on the pursuit channel in the United States, well then, then that pushes that back again, once again. Right. So by going to a subscription service, I get around all of those, those problems because it's not right out there on, on the, uh, um, on the wild World Wide web and everybody can see it and, uh, for, for free they're, uh, they're paying the other, other beauty of it is, is is that I own it so you know tomorrow Instagram or YouTube or whatever could decide what we do isn't right have you have you tried to uh, upload a, a, uh, a YouTube recently yeah yeah, yeah did, well right? how, how soon is recent how, how soon how recent <laughs> in the last week oh, no no Okay, now you have to self-rate it. You have to decide whether you, you're showing violence, whether you're showing, uh, um, you know, anything that 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 they would consider to be uh, wrong for up there, and things like what we do, skinning animals, and that they consider violent. Oh, okay, I noticed that when we put up the skinning, I was going to coyote. Yeah, skinning tutorial video uh, will say, you know, that they won't monetize it. That's yep. not appropriate for. You know, that's that's kind of as far as we've got. So, but, uh, but then I, I don't do anything recently. I end up in other situations where now you have to declare whether it's for kids or whether kids are in it. Well, my yeah, grandkids, absolutely. my grandkids come trapping with me, and yeah. so how do I put that on now? Because I mean, this is, I mean, it's one thing for somebody in California to decide what their life is and what what what's proper in their life. Not this is our life here, and sure. this is just normal. My grandkids have been helping me skin since they've, they've been sitting in, in the strollers in the, out in the fur shed, you know? That's just part yeah, exactly. of life. But yeah. they're making those decisions now that, you know. So by going to a subscription service, we end up uh, not worrying about that. We, we own it all. It can't be taken away from us. And we don't have to worry about, about trolls 
because sure. nobody's ever going to pay a nickel to, to go protest you. That's yeah. the one thing they all are is eternally cheap. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And that, you know, that's, that's a very, yeah, that's a, uh, definitely a, a point to that. While, while I've got you on here, I, we were talking to a, um, Jeff Haggerty, uh, in Michigan. I don't know if you know Jeff or not. I did and, my first podcast with him. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So, um, Jeff was talking about going to Alaska and trapping and, and I was just kind of thinking out loud and, and I had mentioned to him that, um, my perception is that they, that trapping is more culturally accepted there than here. But if someone from here goes to Alaska, they are more apt to accept it on that geography than they are possibly here, um, in their lower 48 context. And I don't, I don't know if you have thought about that or if you get that perception, certainly in your area would be more acceptable than, than here, I think. Um, but I know it's kind of interesting to think about, uh, I, I think part of what, what you're talking about is, is just the fact that um, for one thing, when you come north, you expect that, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. first time you come up here and we're not living in igloos, it's like, what the heck, right? <laughs> you, so you expect it to be very different. It's, it's like if you go to Africa or go to another, another country, and that's really what you're doing. When you're going from, from Indiana to Alaska, you're going to a different country. Sure. And, and uh, so those, those people have, have different expectations. Uh, I think if everybody, <clears throat> even the, your neighbors and everybody else, if they all behaved like they were a visitor in a strange country, we'd, we'd all get along really well. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's the problem that everybody has with uh, that you've ha have um, upset me, you've offended me, that, you know, that, that I don't agree with what you're doing. I've, I've said this a million times. We ship on average 40,000 coyotes out of Alberta every year. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the world would look like the day that trappers weren't doing that for free? Oh my, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what that would cost? What that would cost to, to, to pay government trappers? What the, the depredation of, of payouts that would happen, that kind of stuff? Like, I mean, you, you have no idea. I mean, we never, you know, they're, they're, I don't know of a situation where, uh, you know, once we moved into uh, the regulation of, of trapping that where we have endangered the resource, uh, we're just dealing in a, in a surplus and we're making use of a surplus, right? Yeah. Um, we're, we're not, we're never going to run out of kites. We're never yeah. going to run out of muskrats. We're you know, the, 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 those kind of things. When we did things like that is when we poisoned, you know, wolves, we poisoned bears, we put that, that kind of stuff. We had to use those, those grotesque, um, bulk um, techniques in order to, to, to affect the, the change. We couldn't do it by hunting or, or, or trapping, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, people just don't understand that. People, people assume that every one of those, uh, those people are, you know, that they're a threat to the environment and that, and, and we're not. We're, we're the, the last, the trappers are, the, are the, the last bastion between civilization and the wild. You take a look, uh, imagine your big cities are no different than ours. I got a, a buddy who, all he does is trap coons in, in houses in, in Toronto. That's all sure. he does. You know? yeah. <laughs> Every now and then he gets to trap a squirrel. <laughs> but he's, he probably makes more money as a trapper than any, any other trapper I know. But that's all he does. You know? 
And most yeah. of those people, he says, every one of those people, he says, they'll have a bill from me for $500. They'll have, uh, have maybe $500 or $1,000 worth of damage that's been done. And they all want to make sure that that squirrel's being released somewhere, you know? And yeah. like he says, by law, he can't, you know, <laughs> he can't yeah. take and move a problem and make it somebody else's problem, you know? So they've brought up really strange laws where they put in, uh, you know, exclusion techniques. So they end up finding where the, the coon or the squirrel or whatever is going into the attic. They put in an exclusion door so it can go out, but it can't go back in. He says, all I'm doing, he says, I know it, all I'm doing. He says, I'm moving it next door. He says, that raccoon or that, or that squirrel is moving one house over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Got the same thing here. Got the same thing here. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Guys, I, the guys who take that business seriously do quite well, you know, with a nuisance business, but. Well, it, it was, it was, we, um, I, we're, we're just closer to life around here. You know, yeah. it's one of the stories that I've, I've told about when I, when I went off to the big city and, and I was uh, not popular with ladies whatsoever. And, and I'd finally landed myself a date and I go to pick her up. And just as we we're about to leave, uh, her mom drives in and of course the big city of Edmonton, uh, that time it would probably be a half million people, it's a million people now. And, you know, you have all those feral rabbits everywhere. Well, her mom runs over the, the feral rabbit, runs over the hind end. Well, you know what that sounds like, right? It's screaming and squealing. And, and I walk over to it. I don't know whether they thought I was going to make it better or whatever, but I picked it up and wrung its neck and I tossed it sideways into, you know, into alongside the road. Well, <laughs> Lee, my date ended right there. <laughs> I thought I was going to be arrested. And I'm trying to, I, and I, for the life of me, I didn't know what was going on because that was just a normal reaction every day. They were lucky I didn't pull the fur off of it and, and prep it up for supper. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think, I think a lot of people, if you could go to Alaska, uh, go, go in a situation like that on a trap line tourism or whatever, you would have a heck of a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You, you would. Yeah. You certainly yeah. would. Sure. Well, gentlemen, I have had a great time talking with you. It, it, it took us a long time to get this organized, but I'm sure glad we did it. Yeah, and, same yeah. here. Same here. And like you said, let's do it in person if uh, our if our paths cross or allow that. So yeah, that'd be awesome. Hopefully, man, because I'm, I'm just about done editing uh, for season six here, and and I'm getting a little bit itchy. I was uh, we we ended up in a flood here. I couldn't get out the last eight, nine days, we couldn't get out of the place because our road was flooded and culvert out and everything. But it's time to go shoot some spring beaver and have a little bit of fun. But it's been a pleasure. Same. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you for Thank joining you. me. Yeah, thanks. Take care.